Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. It's fall here in Florida. The sweltering heat has subsided and it's cool enough to turn off my AC in the mornings and enjoy my coffee with the windows open. This small town I'm in is definitely centered around tourism, so things have quieted. But what I'm finding is that there's so much more to do now. For example, last weekend, the local brew pub put on a little Oktoberfest, which kind of felt like a Philadelphia block party. Next weekend is Porch Fest, where live music can be enjoyed all over town. And you guessed it, locals host bands on their porches. So everybody gets in their golf carts and drives around to see all the bands. It's gonna be awesome. And then after that is this Florida Seafood Fest held right here, which brings tens of thousands of people to this little town. I've been told it's kind of like a country fair, but with seafood. I'm loving fall in Florida. I've got a little over two months left of this adventure I'm on, aka remote consulting job, and I haven't figured out my next gig. I had hoped something would have been confirmed by now, but I'm not yet in complete panic mode. I've been diligent about my savings, so I have a small cushion to help me transition back to Philadelphia. I'll figure something out. This freelancer remains optimistic. I gained eight new patrons on my Patreon since my last episode. That's incredible. Thank you to Heather, Brian, Namita, Nicole, Sarah, Sabatus Bespoke, Frida, and Jeruska. Supporting the podcast through my Patreon is the best way to show your appreciation for this work I'm doing. Sign up to be my patron at patreon.com slash value for as little as a dollar a month. Other ways you can support the podcast is by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. And then once you have subscribed, rating and reviewing. It's free to do and helps others find the podcast. Find me, your host, on social media at Sarah Rachel Brown and find the podcast at Perceived Value. My guest today is someone I met a few years ago in New York City, before the pandemic, before everything changed, and we were introduced by our mutual friend Tom. Now Tom, everybody loves Tom. He's a musician from Atlanta and he is most definitely a connector. The author Malcolm Gladwell introduced me to this idea in his book, Tipping Point. And it's this, that people fall roughly into three categories, connectors, mavens, salesmen. Connectors are the sociable, gregarious types that are naturally skilled at making friends and acquaintances. And like their title, they're good at introductions. I also think of myself as a connector, a people specialist of sorts, and my knack is for nurturing those connections. I keep in touch. And so, of course, when I was planning out my road trip from Philadelphia to Florida, I planned a night in Atlanta to say hello to my good friend Tom and our friend Ken, who had since moved back to Atlanta from New York City. 
Ken Oriel is a Grammy-winning recording engineer who has teamed up with many of the top artists and producers in the industry and has worked at some of the world's most renowned studios. He is known for his vast technical expertise, musical comprehension, and almost two decades of experience working across multiple genres in a variety of roles. So naturally, I reached out to Ken to help me troubleshoot some audio issues I was having, and he also agreed to an interview. Ken, you're great. Thanks for the help, and I hope you approve of the sound quality of this episode. So, please welcome today's guest, Ken Oriel. Fun fact. Uh, do you know John Reese, like Hot Snakes, Rocket from the Crypt, Drive Like Jehu, Swami Records kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So his new band is called Plosives, and... <laughs> I, I had a moment where I was like, oh, I know what that means. Because nice. I was watching all these like things about plosives, which is like... Yeah, especially with like... Bleh. Those are plosives, guys. Ew! Wow, these things are actually doing a lot. That's what it's for. Well, it's called the pop filter for a reason. Pop, pop, pop. Oh, ew! Wow. Yeah, so I went and saw his new band and it's one of the guys from like Pinback. It was rad. They were great. Nice. Um, and I was just having a moment in my head where I was like, felt cool because <laughs> I don't, I, I feel like an alien in the production world. But I was like, I know what plosives mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they make a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what do you think of my microphones though? They're good. Yeah? yeah? You think this was a good choice? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, everyone listening, we have spent a good hour plus doing sound check quality kind of things. Um, learned a lot of things from Ken just now. Thanks for the whole, like, this is where you actually plug in your headphones <laughs> into your interface. <laughs> wow. Hey, my pride's not hurt. I'm a jeweler. I will, you know, do you know anything about how to make jewelry? Nothing. Great. I'm going to hold that over your head a lot <laughs> as we have this discussion. Um, and also found out I've been having a lot of issues with my um, sound bleeding into my mic. And that's because the headphones I have put oh, out sound. They're open back. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. And that's not a good thing for what I'm doing. Yeah. You want closed back headphones. Right. Okay. So I'm buying a new set of headphones. But then what am I going to do with these? I don't know. Oh, what would you do with these? What are they good for? They're good for like they're good for mixing. So like when you're not recording and you're listening to your mixes. Oh, okay. I mean, because I do mix every episode. Yeah. So maybe I'll use clothes back when I'm recording, and then I use these for when I'm mixing. Yep. All right. I think I'm getting in over my head, but like, hey, I'm in for the ride. Uh, hi, Ken. Hey. Hey, it's nice to be in Atlanta with you. Yeah, it's fun to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited. I got here at like, what, 2 o'clock? Guys, it's uh, 5.17 right now. So we went to the bar, had a few drinks, and then we started working, which I appreciate that approach. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken, can you say your full name for everyone that's listening? Ken Oriel. And Ken... Uh, can you tell everybody, well, first of all, can you give your pronouns on how old you are? I am, I guess, pretty much 38 now. Rounding up? Yeah. I mean, it's two days away. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Yeah, I don't 
I don't really care on the pronouns. You can call me whatever. You can call you whatever? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. I a guest of mine, you know, it's like it's a good thing to just like mention. And so we're in Atlanta right now. And are you from Atlanta, Ken? I moved here straight from college. So adult life from Atlanta. I started my career here. You started your career here. Yeah. Okay. And real quick, give a description of what your job is. I record music. Um, I would call you a producer. Is that what you like to be called? It depends on the project because sometimes I'm just a recording engineer and, yeah. there's a, and there's another producer role. And other times you're, you're kind of both. But oh. the lines really blur in producer and engineer. So it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of cross crossing paths there. Okay. So, yeah. um, in my phone, you're saved, to, you're saved as Kengineer. Nice. <laughs> Which is what, isn't that your social media handle? Like, where did I get that? Um, yeah, I used the, on my Instagram posts, I do the hashtag Kengineer on all my posts. I yeah. got that from this band I was working with years ago, and they're, they're a lot younger than me, so, I, so they were giving me a lot of flack about how bad I am on social media, and then they came up with Kengineer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, good for them. Way to push they were you like, for that How market. do you not even have a Twitter? And I was like, I don't know. Because I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't like, have a Twitter. Okay. And they're like, you need a Twitter, a Snapchat. And I was like, I have Instagram. <laughs> well, Ken, I mean, no shade to that band, but um, are you making a living at what you do? I am. Well, then I think you're doing just fine yeah. with your marketing tactics. Um, okay, let's start with some basics. You went to college near Atlanta. If I make that assumption? No, I went to college in Orlando. I went to Full Sail. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Oh, that's so funny. Wait, where did you grow up, Ken? Originally in South Korea. Okay. And then moved to the States when I was 10. And oh. then lived in a small town in South Georgia. That's interesting. Around the age of 10 is when I moved. So that's funny because I really strongly identify where... I lived up until when I was 10. Do you go back to Korea a lot? Like, do you have a lot of friends there or anything still? I mean, I have whole half side of my family there. I won't say I have any friends there anymore, more just family. But yeah, um, yeah I try to go back every now and then, but I'm due for a trip. It's been a little while. You're due for a trip. Where yeah. in Korea? Uh, Busan. Busan. I mean, I've never been to Korea or yeah. anywhere near so it. So it's like Seoul's the capital and then Busan is the next big city. Oh, okay. So you're like a fairly large city. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How was that moving to a small town in Georgia? <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, that sounds weird. And why did you, why did your family my relocate? Dad's, my dad's job. Oh, your dad's job. Oh, you're, oh, guys, I love this as the, um, the sound engineer is hearing his ice cubes be made in his fridge <laughs> and he's having a moment. <laughs> yeah, don't mess up my sound quality, Ken. Jeez. <laughs> Um, well, so your dad's job brought you guys to small town, Georgia. Yeah. Was that fun? I hated it in certain ways, but it did shape me in a lot of ways too. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. I would be doing what I'm doing now without it. Oh, okay. Like I, 
because I was always in major cities, like, because my, my dad's family's from New York, so whenever we visited the States, it's New York City, Busan's a very congested city like that, mm-hmm. and there's always something to do, even as a kid, you can get around the town by yourself and do stuff, but then I get to Albany, and there's nothing to do, so I made friends, and then we got really into music, and started playing music, because there's nothing else to do. I right. don't think I would have gotten the music at the same level I did without being there. Yeah, boredom leads to productivity in some yeah. ways. Okay. And so I had a close friend in high school in Iowa that went to Full Sail. And I remember being like, oh my God, he, Tim Cypress, you're so cool. You're going to go like be a sound engineer. Um, he went and never really did much. In fact... <laughs> Went into the military pretty much right after. Um, can you describe to listeners what Full Sail is? Well, it's a... I guess it's an entertainment school. They have film, audio, video game design programs. I went for audio. And, um, I mean, there's there's so many audio schools now. And it's all kind of the same thing. It's just going to college for audio instead of... Academics. You know, yeah. Would you describe it? I mean, in my perception of it, I thought it was more of like a technical college, like a very specific thing. Yeah, it is. It's more like going to a tech college, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I agree with going to school for, for direction and like a creative industry or direction like that. But Ooh, you can say that all day on this podcast because I am right there with you in many ways. Yeah, I mean, I went, me going was a compromise between me and my mom because I dropped out of college mm. and went on tour with my band. And then I wanted to do audio and the compromise was get a degree in it. So I went to full cell. Got to make mom happy. Yeah. Did mom pay for college though? Nope. Well, I had to mom. Pay for all of it. Ooh, that's not a yeah. fun compromise. Yeah. You pleased your mother. How expensive is full sale, or was it? It was a lot cheaper back then. Like it was yeah. still really just two buildings when I went. Now it's like a whole campus. Mm. And um, yeah, I was fortunate. I was able to have half of my tuition paid for me, so I was able to get rid of my student debts without too much trouble. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And how long was the program? Uh, 12 months. 12 months. Oh, oh, you know, that's nice. Yeah. I think if I would have went to a prog- program that was only meant to be 12 months, I think I would have finally finished one. Um, okay, so you graduate. What was technically your degree or certificate? Was it a degree or a certificate? It's actually, it's an associate's <laughs> degree in recording arts. Oh, yeah. nice. Did you have a ceremony? Like, did you walk across the stage? Did mom we- come? Yes, my parents came. We did, I don't even remember where we, I think we did it at House of Blues in Orlando. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay, full sale. <laughs> I'm into this so far. Um, okay, so you graduate. Uh, and what was your immediate job afterwards? Guitar Center. Guitar Center? <laughs> you got to start somewhere, babe. Yeah. Was it in Orlando? No, no, in Atlanta. Oh, so you moved so back. I moved straight after graduation. Yeah. So it was uh, me and a good friend of mine. Um, he's still here too, but he was from Massachusetts, and we were discussing. Like we were like, oh well, let, let's move together. We get along, you know. And it's um, we were really on the fence between New York and Atlanta. Yeah. And I think, especially Atlanta's cost of living back in two thousand five was kind of the decision maker. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, we're so close in age. It's fun to talk to somebody closer in age because I'm like, oh, 2005. Yeah. yeah. I graduated in 2004. So yeah. Um, similar time frame there. And okay. So Guitar Center, how was that? And uh, I'm assuming you had your band still at this time? No, I was done with that. You were done with that? Like, what did you play in your band? I played bass. Um, I don't know. I was done with bands after getting into record. I would record all the demos and then it's just a lot of people to deal with in bands and lazy people and whatnot. And I was like, yeah. I think I'd rather just record. And I, then I just want that. <laughs> I kind of love that, that, you know, I always made this joke. I was in a country band for a long time and it was me and eight men. And I was like, yeah, it's like a dysfunctional, non-sexual relationship. Me and eight bitchy men. It is. I've explained being in a band <laughs> so many times since it's like, like so I was in a um four piece and I was like, dude, that's like being married to four dudes. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean all those people are like still very much so, very close, very much in my life. We'll yeah. play shows every once in a while, but yeah, not full time. Um so I also appreciate the fact that through playing live music you found the aspect of it that you really liked. And it was kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, and I think it's weird because I think it, some people it takes a really long time to find it, but it's like I'm actually not a very good musician, mm-hmm. so I really gravitated towards the recording because I'm definitely more technical-minded and creative-minded, yeah. but I love creative, so it's like for me, being an engineer-producer, I get to facilitate the creativities of people that are more creative than me, and it's like, and I enjoy that. Like I get to make their vision come to life. Yeah. I like that. I kind of resent this concept of like those who cannot teach. Like I hate that phrase because for me as a jeweler, I like telling the stories behind jewelers or creatives, but I haven't wanted to run my own business, but I like telling the stories of those running businesses. Yeah. Like I like this role better. I see some similarity between us, Ken. Nice. I'm trying to, you know, reach out to you. (laughs) Okay, Ken. Um, So let's keep going on this career trajectory because, you know, you're really good at what you do. And so you started, how long did you last at Guitar Center? Two weeks. Oh my God. Are you, okay. You could have, you could have said that immediately. That's not a real job. It, It actually got me, my job that got me all my connections. Um, I've actually, I've never walked out on a job other than that in my life. Oh, you walked out? Yeah. Um, I didn't get along with management at all. I ended up just throwing my name badge on the table and walking out. (laughs) Like, uh, listeners, you can't see who Ken is. I mean, there will be pictures and links in the description of the podcast, but like, you don't strike me as somebody that like, I've never done that. I was just (laughs) so mad. And then I left and I went to where I was interning at the moment, which was weird because this was not even a studio or production intern. I was interning with an A&R rep. And it was, he worked out of a home office and he had young kids. And I get there and the intern, like his manager that that I was working with, um, she also managed Butch Walker Studio. So I took that internship waiting the internship to open up at Butch Walker Studio. That was the goal. Is Butch Walker like a famous recording a big studio? Big producer, here? yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, but I took it anyways. It's I didn't smoke in my internship because I would always be like, you know, try to keep it 
a certain professional thing, and especially yeah. he has kids at the house. But I stormed out of Guitar Center that day right before, so I was like, Chrissy, I gotta walk down the street to go smoke a cigarette. I'm having a rough day. Yeah. And she was like, I'll walk with you. And I told her, and then she was like, Oh, there's this place called Atlanta Pro Audio. You should go work there. Our dude's leaving for LA. Mm-hmm. So I, she let me leave the trip right away, went there, and then they hired me that day. What? <laughs> yeah. That's and, nice. And they're like a boutique, just kind of not walk-in customers, more like boutique high-end, like just studio consulting and gear. So okay. that's how I met all the producers and artists in Atlanta that I started working with. You're going to have to go into that a little deeper because, I mean, I'm an outsider here. I'm assuming most of my listening base is, you know, doesn't know a lot of producers and the trajectory of producers' careers. So who at that studio through that, what, your job was like renting Well, it was doing a lot of there. It was selling studio gear, so high-end studio gear and then um, a lot of repairs. So like studios would bring their computers in to fix because they always crash. Right. And then that's how I built a connection with a lot of people. Oh, cool. So someone would come in, you guys would have a great connection because you would yeah. fix their computer, they liked the, your efficiency or how smart you are. Yeah, and then I'd start, I'd be like, hey, I engineer also, and then they started inviting me to the studio and let me assist on some sessions, and then it's kind of build our relationship from there. Okay, I love this part of this because I understand the hierarchy in a lot of places, but with like production, I have no idea. So you'd be... So there's a producer. Let's say there's a producer in the room. They're the ones manning the board. They're kind of calling the shots. But then they have assistants? Like, what would you do as an assistant producer? Well, a lot of times in music, you have a producer, and they're the ones calling the shots musically, saying, oh, we should do this or that musically. And then there's an engineer, and he's the one manning the board (gasps) and doing what the producer wants. Okay. And so then you there's do... an assistant engineer that's assisting the engineer. So like if you need like cables ran to a microphone or a mic yeah, switched the... out or speakers or something. Yeah. That would often be like the assistant. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> don't laugh at me, but in terms of like ways I can relate this in my head, you know, you know, Timberland, it, Timberland is like a famous producer, mm-hmm. but in my mind, I think I thought he was the engineer also. Like no, that I was think one he's of the always same. used engineers. Um, one of the famous producers that is an incredible engineer would be Dr. Dre. He did both. So like, oh, okay. So like in terms yeah. of podcasting world, it's like I host and do this podcast, but I also am trying to like really be a good producer of my episode where some yeah. people are just hosts and they pay people to produce it. Yeah. But Dr. Dre... He's, produces and engineers. Yes. Oh, so he's a really, really amazing artist because of that. Yes. And so, and you wear both hats. You can be a producer and you be an engineer. I'm definitely more of an engineer, but I do do some projects where I'm also producing. Um. Okay, so I'm going to throw this out here. Because I know who you are and we've had conversations off air a lot, I know some of the like bigger names you work with. So I'm going to drop a name. Andre 3000. I know you work with him a lot. So do you work with Andre as a producer or an engineer? As an engineer. Um, but we've built a lot of trust. Like he 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 definitely self-produces his music. Like he knows oh. where he's going with it. But um that's where it's like there's a lot of times engineering and producer is not like 
there's not like a distinct line sometimes. Yeah. So it's like there is a lot of my input on it too. So it's kind of like we're we're co-producing, but he's definitely it's not like a fifty-fifty. He's the lead. Yeah. So that's been a long working relationship, you as his engineer. Yes. Now, would you say that your role with him is like you're like his personal engineer, like you're somebody that he's established that relationship and he doesn't really work with a lot of... It seems like an engineer is somebody that once you got used to somebody and the way they work, you wouldn't want to have a bunch of different engineers. It does help because you, you, build, you build a workflow and then just an understanding. So it's like you're just comfortable with the way each other works. So it helps your creativity because you're not having to be like, oh, I got to do this like this or like this. You can just, yeah. he can just concentrate on his creativity. And like, and then it's just gotten to the point where it's like, we have like, we have conversations with no words at a studio where it's like, yes. we're just, we'll be on the same page. And it just makes it comfortable as a creator to not have to worry about anything else. I think about that with the jeweler I apprenticed with. Like I apprenticed under a jeweler for three years and at the end it's like she didn't even have to tell me certain things. Yeah. And that's so nice. It's really nice to get to that place with somebody. It is. It's comfortable and then it's just it becomes the creative environment grows from that because there's no like technicality pauses or less technicality pauses and stuff. You just let the creativity flow. Oh yeah. How long have you been working with Andre? I think I started with the first record. I did with him was 2008-ish. So when we dropped, when we kind of did like a, turned off on the conversation of trajectory, like we stopped at 2005 where you you land this job at this nice shop. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not using the words right. (laughs) (laughs) And you are making these connections because you're fixing, repairing, and then getting invited into studios. So what would you say was your first like significant job as an engineer? The Andre session, the first session I did with him. Oh, seriously? And that came like three years later. So in between there, you just worked at that studio and like built up? Building connections, but then that was kind of like the big break for me. Oh, how did he find you? I met him at a shop and, um, He bought some new gear that he needed installed at his studio. I went to go install it, and then he just Mm -hmm. happened to mention, he was like, do you engineer also? And I was like, yes. And he was like, I got to record this this rap feature. Can you do that tonight? And I was like, yeah. Oh, and you showed up. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have some questions about how you get paid as an engineer, because I find that amazing, Uh, or just... Not a, not actually amazing. It's a total freaking, like, I don't understand it. Okay, so as an engineer, do you have, like, say for with Andre, do you have a retainer, right? Because it seems like he works with you a lot. So does it, is it like monthly you have a retainer and you're just on call for Andre? I've had gigs with retainers. I don't, I've never done that with him because okay. it's off and on when he decides to start or stop. A project so it's always just been just been day rates with him oh but I've done retainers with other producers that I've worked with and so when you have somebody that is like a significant client like Andre you also have all these other clients that you're bringing in because you you know making a living and money talks how many people do you work with on average in like a month 
for me, I don't do a ton of different things at this point. I think earlier in my career when I was doing more one-off sessions here and there, I would work with, you know, maybe half a dozen people a month. But um, usually at this point, I'm getting, I take bookings for like full projects. So once I book a project, I'm on that for a couple months and then look for the next project. And if, in terms of project, would you define that mostly usually as like an album? Usually it's an album or an EP or a soundtrack, but just a complete volume of work in some way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think people find you? You said you're not really on social media. It doesn't seem like you have to push the marketing thing too it's, much. It's mostly word of mouth, um, which is kind of how it always is in the creative world. Right? I'm assuming yeah. the is the same thing. It's like jewelry is very different because it it's like such a product that you're selling to a client base that's not typically you don't have like a lot of repeat you do when you build up your brand but for the most part it's not necessarily that I am finding that it has been word of mouth with the new type of work I'm doing which is consulting or podcasting like the most recent big project I got was definitely because I reached out and I had a connection there so yeah, yeah. It's mostly mostly word of mouth. Um, okay. Yeah, because other than that, it's like I don't know. All us engineers, producers, like the, the music industry, it's so much smaller than people think it is. I think, or at least yeah. on the behind the scenes kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And like we all know each other, and it's like, oh, um, this project is perfect for this guy or this guy. So it's it's mostly word of mouth. Like, yeah. I get a lot of studios that I've worked at before, they get a certain client, and then they're like, oh, we're trying to do this. They're like, oh, you should call Ken, or you should call, you know, whoever they think is the right person for that project. Right, because there's, that makes sense that there's certain types of genres that you kind of gravitate towards. Yes. What would you say is your specialty? I actually weirdly had a conversation with this, or a friend of mine had a conversation with me about it, um, he was like, man, you have a niche. And I was like, at first I was a little bit offended because I was like, no, I'm versatile. <laughs> like, are you trying to put <laughs> okay, me on a box? <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized, um, what did he call it? He called it like urban creative. You do urban creative projects. So I was like, okay. Um, and he started listing out some of the credits and I was like, okay, that makes sense. So it's like where it's like, R&B or like like hip hop projects yeah. that traditionally these days is a lot of keyboard or computer or drum machine production yeah. but it's when those projects want to do it all with live instrumentation I end up getting a call for those projects a lot oh okay I was going so much more bland where I was like hip hop country pop music I mean that's yeah. of course you're far more specific in that oh that's interesting and you probably relate that to what what your most experience has been or because you started as a musician i started as a musician and i started as an engineer recording a lot of local indie bands and started out with you know a very rock background with live instruments yeah and then um then i had a job on a retainer with with tricky stewart for a while Mm -hmm. and he's very like drum machine keyboards pop production yeah. So I got to learn that workflow and a live tracking workflow. So then when the guys are doing projects like 
like the John Baptiste album where it's like mm-hmm. he recorded everything live but then needs to do a lot of these like pop style edits. Yeah. Like I had experience in both sides. Okay. Yeah. Um can you give some examples of artists or just name artists you've worked with that I might know? I don't know. <laughs> um <laughs> John Baptiste yeah. I recognize. Yeah, so I've worked with John Baptiste is one of the last projects I've done. Um I worked with a bunch of people through the time that I was with Tricky Stewart. And mm-hmm. it was when Tricky Stewart and The Dream, they were like a producer writing team, was doing really, really well. So I got to I got to work on a lot of cool projects through them. Yeah. And I then, don't know who Tricky Stewart is. I'm so sorry. I'm going to Google it, though. Yeah. Right after this. And then i say one of the cool artists I've gotten to work with is Solange. <gasps> you got really to work cool with Solange? Yeah. On what? Um, seat at the table. Oh, cool. So, and that was like a lot of the stuff I've been with Andre so long. It's like I got brought into through that too. Right. So it's like they were, he was co-writing a song and then we worked and then I ended up working on even more of the album outside of that. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So for you, I mean... I'm in, I asked you on season five of Perceived Values about transitions. And I think I just thought of you because you moved from New York City back down to LA or not LA, sorry, uh, Atlanta. Um, so you, how long did you live in New York? I was up there for just under five years. And what made you initially move to New York? Um, Honestly, it's like it feels like everything circles back to Andre. He has the main I mean, he sounds like I know you're a freelancer, but he sounds kind of like he's like your main. He is, and yeah. it's, so I was, I was up there for like working on a project, and I was in a hotel room for three months, and living in a hotel room for that, I've done it a lot. It sucks. It sounds yeah. cool, but it's not because yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like you actually never feel like you really get off work because you're not going home to any of your belongings. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so after three months of being in a hotel, I was like, you know what? I've always kind of wanted to live in New York. Like, I'm just going to move. It's- Have you ever had that conversation with Andre where you're like, I mean, you were just talking to me about it where you were just in LA for three months. Does Andre ever have this conversation with you where he's like, so, hey, Ken, I'm moving to LA now. And you either move there or just expect to be in a hotel a lot. Uh, no, it doesn't. He never mentions it that way. So right. he's just like, hey, can you come out for like a month? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, yeah. sometimes it just keeps getting extended. <laughs> and then you're like, damn it. I'm just going to move yeah. here. Yeah. Um, do you miss New York? I do. And so you probably, I mean, I know that the pandemic really shifted a lot of your work. Um. Can you describe why you moved to Atlanta, the timing of it? Yeah, I was, so this is about a year into New York not really opening up. So um, I think at this point we had, you could sit outside at those fake parking structures to drink, but you couldn't go inside anywhere yet when I was leaving. And I got booked for a project that was gonna be about two months here in Atlanta. And I was about to just go down and do the project and I was like, wait a minute. I've been like spending New York money, cost of living money for a whole year without really being able to work. 
why am I going to keep doing it? I'm just going to move to Atlanta during this project, and then I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, you you say that kind of casually, but I'm like, damn, like moving is a lot of work, unless you're kind of like a minimalist and you didn't really... Yeah, I mean, I looked in your bedroom. You actually don't have that much stuff. Yeah. I think I saw, like, did I see a gold rec? Did I see a record, like, framed <sighs> on your floor? Dude, there's a couple that I still haven't put up. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is that what I thought I saw? Is it gold? Yes. Is it real gold? Well, it's just, you know, the RIA plaques for when an album sells X amount of records. Yeah, I've seen them on MTV Cribs, dude. <laughs> but what I'm asking is, as a metalsmith, are they actually gold? But they must be gold-plated. I'm not sure, honestly. Um, oh, I'm about to bust that open and check the metal. The, the plaque companies charge a lot, so hopefully it's, like, real-plated. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Ken, do you have a Grammy in the other room? No. Where are your Grammys at? It's in the mail, I think. <laughs> okay, so everyone, I, I'm friends with Ken online. So is that your first Grammy you won? It's my first, yes, my first Grammy trophy. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. So you have a Grammy in the mail. I think it's in the mail. It takes a while. Like, I've worked with a lot of people that have won, so I know it takes a while for those to show up. Oh, cool. And what did you win a Grammy for? Oh, uh, it was with John Baptiste okay. for his album, We Are, for Album of the Year. Oh, damn. I, I should have paid more attention. I didn't really realize that. Okay, now I'm a little embarrassed. Um, and when you win a Grammy, is there any, like, do they pay you any money for that? Or is it just like, you won a Grammy? No, you don't really get any money. Well, I mean, it helps because, you know, we're all pretty much freelance. So it helps with calls. Like, you will notice some extra calls coming in. And and then when you're, you know, um, negotiating a project, it helps. It's a resume piece. Like, I guess that's the best way to put it. That's a nice resume piece. Yeah. Um. Okay, so congratulations on the Grammy. You worked with John. Have you gotten extra calls? Like, do you feel like things are like people, you got some extra? Um, I did. It was like right afterwards. I definitely noticed some calls for projects that I really wasn't able to capitalize on because I was in the middle of another project. But um, right. yeah, it definitely, it makes a difference. That's something I guess I didn't really think about too, is that you're, you kind of have like this immediacy in your field where individuals maybe don't want to have to wait to work with somebody? It That, and then it's just like, I don't know, like everything's forgotten so quick too. So it's yeah. like, you're only as good as like your last credits. Ooh, oh, like, damn. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it's fast. <laughs> yeah, it moves quickly. Um, are you in the middle of a project right now? I am. Oh, you are? Who are you working with right now? Um, I'm doing a project with Andre. Right. But I can't disclose what the project is at this time. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. So you're working on a project with Andre right now. Do you have any other projects that you bring on on the side? Um, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of like, when I'm working on a big project where I'm, I'm kind of involved in it and in production recording and all the way, it's so like usually my side project ends up just like mixing records on the side because I can't right. really dive into a whole other project at the same time. So you said you were going to be busy tomorrow working on a mixed project. Uh, yes. Right. Can you say who it is? I can't. 
it's like so is it someone famous really, just kidding <laughs> it's just usually projects are really private until they're released because yeah. nobody wants to announce something and then at some point they're like oh we don't want to put it out so they don't want to create that oh so, right right yeah. yeah yeah i get that and then of course your time is also filled with um helping jewelers slash podcasters finish up their sound or <laughs> fix their sound thank you so much <laughs> gonna uh guys in case you're wondering my rate was uh two beers and two shots <laughs> he's like do not put that on the air oh my god i'm gonna kill you <laughs> where are you going you're opening the fridge in the middle of my interview with you yes grab me a drink yes that's nice um okay ken one thing we did talk about in our pre-interview happy hour was your breakdown of thank you yes um your breakdown of your hourly how you came to establish your rates and then how you came to establish ways that you give discounts yeah so i'm not necessarily comfortable going into my exact rates for projects because it varies a lot but um I will say that, like, when I do, I kind of have my ideas of fixed rate depending on the size project it is. But when when I'm offering discounts, and I've given this advice to a lot of my assistants, it's mm-hmm. like I don't necessarily be like, okay, I'll let's do this 10-day project. Let's say, let's say it's a day rate um, and do a 10-day project, and then they want it cheaper. They can't pay just for numbers, just for round numbers. Let's say... 500 a day for 10 days is yeah. 5,000. And they're like, oh, we can only afford four grand for this project. So instead of invoicing them, and if I, if I agree to do that, instead of invoicing them 400 a day for 10 days, I'll invoice them for um, 500 a day for eight days and two free days. Because then it keeps my day rate at a certain place. Yeah, it's the precedent. You're like, oh no. Because they'll come yeah. back to you and be like, oh, but on this invoice, we got you $400 a yeah. day. So what happens, and it's happened to me before, and the reason I do this is they'll come back to you and then they'll have a one-day project for you and be like, well, last time you were only 400 And it's like, and then you got to explain. It's like, well, I only did it at 400 a day because of the bulk. It's like a right. bulk discount. So I found it easier to just bill your normal day rate and mark it as like a free day. That's great. I'm gonna re I'm gonna rephrase that in a way where it's like you never lower your minimum, but you give a discount on top of it so they understand what your like bottom line is. Yeah, it needs to be shown. Um Yeah. Yeah, because whatever your lowest number is is gonna become your number eventually. <laughs> I say that all the time to students. Yeah. I'm like I mean when friends I think that's really important like as a jeweler when someone wants to get something from you and you want to give them a discount that's fine but let them know the full cost and then let them know what you're giving as a discount so they don't they don't set this expectation that the price that you're giving them at a discount is like what it is exactly because especially like i was saying with freelancing it's um most of my work is word of mouth so it's somebody else that's worked with me talking to somebody else. And then if they come to me and I give them 
you know, so-and-so rate. Then, but, well, so-and-so recommended you, and he said you only did this. this right. Like, you have yeah. to keep that standard across the board. Yeah. It's not like you have a website where your rates are noted. You don't do that. Mm. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, well, without, like, divulging the exact numbers, I do have some questions about that, if that's okay. okay. Um, over the years, you know, I know how my value increases as I work. Um or how value fluctuates based on the materiality of my work, like if I'm working in gold or silver, et cetera. Do you have that? I mean, you talked about like the scope of the project, sure. But as you've gone into this, you've been doing this full time since 2005, 2006, somewhere in there? Full time since 2010. 2010. Um, How do you stop and reevaluate your value as a producer? I mean, the Grammy must be like, that must be a pay bump. Well, I'm actually kind of in the middle of figuring that out right now on that bump. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's just you got to go project by project. Because a lot of times projects have a fixed budget. And it's... Um, and if you want the project, you're willing to... If it's a yeah, it depends. Like if I'm really want that project, you're gonna be able to get a better discount out of me than you know if I'm not that into it. But at the same time, you got to be paid what you're worth. So a lot of times, what it comes down to on scales, because it's like, because I'll do a lot of like independent projects or like small label projects for way less because I want to work on them, and then like major labels you got to do at certain rates because you also have to deal with the really complicated billing process with them oh yeah yeah yeah. so and um yeah it's gonna take a couple months to even see that money okay question because brian who's atlanta based has this like iconic story he talks about hotel california because he had a friend back in the has he ever said this story to you Mm mm-hmm Okay, I love the story. He talks about the story where his friend was like an intern at the studio where Eagles recorded Hotel California. And at the end of the rap, they like threw him like a half of a royalty or like a percentage of a royalty or something like that for being the dude that went out and got them cigarettes and sandwiches or whatever. Uh, And dude has like... That's amazing. That's a lot of money for that song. Yeah. And because this guy just happened to be the dude that was like buying cigarettes for the Eagles and got like a percentage of a royalty, he has been set up in life and in like a ridiculous way because of the money that's brought that in. Now, as an engineer, does that come into play for you? Like royalties? Is that a thing anymore? Not, not, not very often. Right. Like, when so, would that be a thing? Like, major artists and labels don't offer you points on records. Um, but the point system still because, exists? Yeah. They'll, they'll pay whatever it costs to not give you points. So they pay you more for your work. But then what happens, usually the only time, unless you're really the doing production, you get points for that. Right. But, it's like, but if you're just engineering... You don't get points on that. The only time that usually comes up for an engineer or somebody like in that situation would be yeah. it's an indie artist that can't actually afford your rate. Oh, so you give them a discount. They're like, well, we'll pay you this amount, but we'll give you this amount of points on the record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Have you gotten points on records? I've, I've that? done it that way. It almost never works out because there's so much music created and. Right. Most stuff doesn't blow up. Right. 
But it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've done it. I'll still do it here and there. Because I guess, you know what? It takes one smash single to make all of those (laughs) worth it. (laughs) Yeah, and like, what is Hotel California? It's like (laughs) the most played song of X blah, 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 blah. That's why that story is like so hilarious to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously... They wouldn't have offered him a point if they didn't get along with him. So he was still a good assistant and churn and like he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I have no idea, but so the story goes. Yeah. Um, for someone like you who I don't want. Okay, I'm gonna compare it to like a modeling career, right? A model ages, and so they're outside beauty or what the beauty standard fades. They have like a limited time that they know they could really ring in the money. Is that the same thing for engineers in a way where like as you age, you might become less wanted? (laughs) No, I think it's totally different than that because for us, it's like we're in control of that. You're like a fine wine. You get better with age? Sometimes, sometimes you don't, but it's like it happens both directions. Like you can keep learning the new gear and the new. Roommate just came home. (laughs) It's fine. And the new sound. But um, at the same time, it's like there are a lot of engineers that do fall off because they get so stuck in their workflow. Right. Or like, you know, there's you could think of it like in the 90s, so many drop offs from where everybody was like. I'm only going to record the tape. I'm not doing this digital thing. Oh, and yeah. I got like, a lot of tapes because of that. Yeah. And then you like knock yourself out of future work. Really. So you, date, you can date yourself, but it doesn't right. happen to you. Okay. What are ways that you've had to like upkeep? Have you had to upkeep? I mean, it's just keeping aware of the new software trends and not avoiding them. And then... um yeah, paying attention to the radio so that you're you understand how music is evolving. Okay, I do remember you put some little rant online that I really loved. However, you're like, what was it? Was it Spotify or something like sounds like shit? What was it? I said <laughs> Apple Music sounds far better than Spotify. Oh, okay. And it does. It's just a lower sound quality on Spotify. But Spotify is great because their algorithms are great, and I think. It introduces a lot of people to projects that they wouldn't have necessarily gotten introduced to. I love how you say projects where I'm like, oh, you mean artists or records? Yeah. That's what you hear in your head. You say project. I'm going to start saying project so I sound more like an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love this new project. Well, yeah, it's just a project for me. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. I I like that. No, that's good. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not picking on you. It's fun. Okay. So, is there anything we haven't covered that you think I should think about to ask you? Because I have no experience in the engineer world. Um, what do you get a record like that for, though? Like, in your room? That's one question I have. Like, oh, what does that even mean? Sale. So, it means, like, I recorded the album, and for a gold record, it means it sold at least 500,000 units. Oh, actually, they made the rules because this is that's based on CDs and records. So I don't remember what the stream numbers convert to, but it's so it got X amount of streams. That's what it is these days. Oh, who's that record for? Uh, Frank Ocean. 
Channel Orange. Are you kidding me? You worked on that album? I did. What? Remember that question I asked a while ago where I was like, is there any like significant artist you want to like bring up that you've worked uh, with? Yeah. Thanks. He was actually my very first Grammy nomination. <laughs> oh, really? How many times have you been nominated for a Grammy? Three. Have you ever gone to the Grammys? I have. You have? Who'd you take? Did you take your mom as your date? I went solo. You went stag to the Grammys? Yes. Can I go to next time you go? <laughs> sure. I love dressing up. And I'm I a jeweler, went, well, so I'll deck you out. I was the studio working, and then I thought I was going to be in the studio, and I ended up having the day off. So, oh, so you just in LA, rolled so into I was like, the Grammys. Okay, I guess I'll go. Oh, my God. Ken, you're killing me right now. That is really funny. My brother's going to the um, Emmys next year because his partner got nominated, and I'm like, yo, <laughs> can you get, like, a plus plus one? Like, how do I get to go to the Emmys? <laughs> It just seems like it would be fun. I've actually oh. heard that like award shows are pretty boring. It's really boring. Because you have to sit there for a second. Is it's it, super boring. Is it free, do they feed you? Is there free food or is it free drinks? Like, what is it? No. There's, There's not a even... bar, but yeah, no, not free. You had to pay. You have to pay for drinks at the Grammys? Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. Um, I'm disappointed. Yeah, it's it's really... Boring, because you got to think also during the telecast how many commercial breaks there are. Yeah. You're just sitting there. Oh, my God, you're right. This is all, like, registering now. Yeah. I would still go. I would still go to be bored with you. We could, like, pack <laughs> a deck of, like, Uno cards in my purse. Play like Uno and commercial breaks. I think the Emmys is the same way, probably. But with the Grammys, like, they only televise, like, 10% of the awards. So it's all day long. Oh, ew. That's way too long. Yeah. Okay, we'll rethink this. Um, Ken, it has. Thank you so much for helping me with my sound. You guys, uh, I was plugging my headphones in to the wrong place in my interface the last four and a half years. Ken just hooked it up. Uh, that's an exciting discovery. Um, also, I always used to use Pro Tools first and thought that my new computer wasn't compatible with my license for it and Ken figured that out for me <laughs> which is like you just changed my life I'm so happy to be back at like a DAW is that how you say that DAW yeah DAW DAW I always like digital audio workspace digital audio workstation workstation not workspace okay well you obviously are the professional here but I'm so happy to be back at it um Ken thank you is there anything else that you think we should mention before we wrap things up and go swimming? I got nothing. Not only is Ken a great podcast uh, guest, he also has a pool, guys. So uh, I'm winning all around but here. It's <laughs> <laughs> just laughing at me. Okay, Ken, you're great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with creatives, such as my friend Ken. Until next time. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.